It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com. Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show, because you're in for the PopBrain.com. Braincast, Braincast, oh Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Breakcast, the official podcast of ThePopBreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I will be your host for the evening or the morning, depending on when you're listening to this. Or it could even be the afternoon. And I am the editor-in-chief of ThePopBreak.com. Welcome to our official podcast for the movie It. That's right. The long-awaited adaptation of Stephen King's classic novel to the big screen. Obviously, there's always been a, already been a miniseries. Uh, but I am joined by Pop Break's horror aficionados and, um, I would say experts. They might disagree with me, but, um, you know, it's it's, our, it's my podcast. I can say they are. Uh, they are Ann Hale, our horror editor and senior staff writer, and Tommy Tracy, who is a staff writer. And ha- you've heard his uh, melodious tones on many a podcast before. Um, these two have uh, written some great pieces about it, including an awesome piece about who should be cast in part two of the film, which uh, if you just uh, search it part two on thepopbreak.com, you'll find that story. It's really awesome. And if you're circling around the internet and looking for it, we were one of the first people to post that story. And a lot of Ann and Tommy's choices are what a lot of people are saying should happen. So, guys... After that long, windy intro, welcome to the It Podcast. How you guys doing? Not bad, thanks. I'm doing very good. How are you? Uh, we're good. So just to pre- just to let everyone know how Tommy and Ann are doing, um, Tommy is hopped up on Monster Energy drink, and Ann has spent uh, two days in a Buffy uh, coma as she has watched the entire series <laughs> again from her bed with her cat, Edward Kitty Hands. And, uh, oh yeah, I pay attention to social media. I know the cast name. So, guys, we're here to talk about it. And now, this movie just uh, blew up the box office this weekend. $110 million. Um, as Dan Cohen and I, our film editor, said on both our summer uh, wrap-up podcast and our fall preview podcast, the uh, box office has been so dead that it was probably going to clean up even if it was one of the worst movies ever made. Now, um, going into this, you guys are the horror people on the site. Going into this, what were, what was your expectation for this film? Um, Anna, but since you begin with the letter A, you'll go first. Um, what were your expectations going into this? There was a lot of hype. I mean, this trailer was set in records. I mean, it was. I, I still think some of the best trailers of the last couple of years I've seen. Uh, what were your expectations as someone who's read the book, someone who's watched the miniseries, uh, and has seen a bazillion horror movies? What were your expectations going into this movie? Uh, I'll admit my expectations were pretty high. Um, Tim Curry pretty much set the bar as Pennywise. I mean, honestly, as any character, Tim Curry kind of sets the bar. So, um, especially, Star- especially at Home Alone too. <laughs> There's no better. Yeah. Okay. So, well, well, I'll get off that. Um, <laughs> he, uh, 
he uh, Pennywise I felt like was going to be a really hard character to play. I thought that he was going to be hard to beat. Um, so I, I definitely was nervous about how this was going to work out. He did look a lot more like the book's description, so that was nice. Um, I felt like he looked a little young for the part. Um, Pennywise, you know, they, they never really gave him an age, I don't think, in the book. But, uh, you know, you got the, the feeling that he was a little bit older. He was an older man. Um, but, I mean, the, the previews just, they they looked terrifying. So that's that's pretty much what I was expecting going in was that I was going to be terrified. Um, so you know that I'm freaked out by clowns. So. Uh, Tommy, <laughs> how about you? you do. Uh, again, I had some pretty high expectations for it. Uh, this is, I've read a, used to read a lot of books growing up, not as much anymore, unfortunately. And I think I read this first when I was maybe eight or nine. Jesus. Far too young to be reading it. Uh, but it instantly became one of my favorites. And I've gone through this 1,200-page book three or four times already. Um, so, yeah, to say that the hype train was up there, I mean, I've been telling people since last year this was number two only because there was a new Star Wars coming out this year. If now, Star Wars wasn't around this year, this would be number one leaps and bounds above anything else. Now, I'm the non-horror guy here. So I have to say that... Um, I often um, am not impressed by horror movie trailers, and uh, if you ever listen to any of our podcasts, Dan and I kind of like, when we do the previews for the seasons, we're like, oh, it's a horror movie, it'll do what a horror movie always does. Um, This one, uh, for months on end, just gave me goosebumps just thinking about, excuse me, just thinking about it, Um, and I actually was like, man, I part of me really doesn't want to watch this because I know it's going to be scary. So even someone who was, is not a horror guy like myself, I was really, I had very high expectations for this. Now for anyone who's listening, this is the point of the podcast where spoilers are coming in. So if you haven't seen it, um, which is not a Chris Jericho joke, I know Tommy will appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I is, um, if you haven't seen the film yet, uh, thank you for tuning in. Please push pause. Come back to us when you've seen it. Bookmark it, wherever, whatever you want to do. Because from now on, we're going to get to heavy spoilers. And uh, we don't want to ruin this movie for you. Because we, I think all three of us generally would like you to watch it. So, you've been warned. So, guys. Did it. And I know I'm probably jumping the gun here. Now, everyone seemed to have very high expectations. Uh, did they... Did the film meet your expectations? Tommy, you'll go first since you answered second last time. Uh, They did, yes. Um, I do not scare very easily when it comes to films. And being a horror fan, I I feel like most horror fans don't get scared by horror movies very easily. But we, you know, appreciate the atmosphere and the tone that's set. Usually the acting, if it's good. Um, I thought this one was fantastic all the way across the board. And while it didn't terrify me like say john carpenter's halloween did and still kind of does um it you know it had some moments and while i'm not the biggest jump scare fan these ones were handled with care um there is a scene in particular um where pennywise comes out of a projector oh my god that had me sucked into my seat i was that scared of it um (laughs) and the entire 20 minute scene or so when they're inside the Nebel house kind of the right before the climax uh, was just 
white knuckling as I was gripping my chair. It was uh, it was done pretty well, and that's to me what you need in a horror movie. And um, so I'll, I'll I I was um, I'm, like I said I'm not a horror guy, and so I was definitely um, I I do scare easily. Uh, so I was definitely having to check in on my phone, fu- turn the brightness down on my phone, I had to check in every once in a while. Uh, I definitely thought that um, that scene in particular, Tommy, Anne had warned me to actually bring a, a change of pants. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I, I, like when you mentioned that, literally the, all the hairs on my leg stood on end. Uh, this movie was absolutely terrifying. But to me, actually exceeded expectations because I really just thought this was going to be a scary movie. But I think I got, at least for me, I got a lot more out of it in terms of it being a very good movie about characters and friendship and uh, the 80s. So, but uh, Anne, uh, what did you think of it? Uh, yeah, I actually, I agree with Tommy a lot. Um, I don't, I don't like jump scares. Um, I think that they're they're kind of cheap. Um, where, like he said, Halloween, you know, it, it builds up the tension. Um, Halloween would legitimately terrified me as a kid, but um, jump scares now they don't do that. But I felt like they did it very well with this. Um, it wasn't like in The Conjuring where somebody just kind of like claps their hands next to her ear and then that's it. You know, it was um, Pennywise jumps out and he continues to terrify them he continues to terrorize them it's not just um he pops out and then is gone it's that he he comes out of that refrigerator and just oh. <laughs> i mean he contorted himself and that ter- that freaked me out and then he's in he's in eddie's face and you know the, they come into the kitchen and he's still there it wasn't like he just disappeared because they walked in the room i mean they they stuck with it and i I thought that that was um, very well done. Now, I think that's something that's missing a lot for movies, for sure. Uh, and I'm glad you just said that, because that was my next question is, and, I, and I'm going to relate it back to it in a second, is do you think modern horror literally is just using the crutch of jump scare? Do you guys think that's just a thing where it's just like jump scare, jump scare, and then everything else is filler? Absolutely. Who do you, yeah. uh, Tom, do you think, do you agree with that? Uh, I do. Unfortunately, a, uh, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of modern horror films do it. I see no better example than like, uh, I think it came out two or three years ago. The, the first Ouija movie was, oh. I think the epitome of what bad jump scares are all about. There's see, nothing I, thought, I thought that got good reviews good or was that the second one got good reviews? The second one got good reviews. Um, I enjoy well, the second one. It didn't make any one. sense to me. I thought it was bad. <laughs> it's <the> first. <laughs> I think I reviewed the first one on there. So if you want to go back in the archives and find it, I, th- I think my name's under that one. Uh, I, you know what, Anne? Uh, you always bring up the Conjuring, and I have to say, I actually, I actually like the first Conjuring. You know how I feel about James Wan movies. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I've seen other stuff by him, and I'm just like, well, did he do Insidious? Yeah, oh, like, I, call I, I, like. shit, I still call it insidious because it's just like, well, yeah, it's because you just have the like, hey, tap dancing guy with the red face. I'm just like, uh, okay, <laughs> that's cool guy. I mean, I think the stuff with Patrick Wilson was interesting, but like in the first one, but mm. after afterwards, I'm just like, uh, 
but uh, see, I thought the the first half was excellent. The second half was small, and it just you know I didn't like episode one anyway, so I didn't need to see Dark Maul. But um, no one does. No, I feel like that. I feel like that's what James Wan is. You know, it's it's amazing cinematography, um, and I feel like you're distracted by the cinematography, and you don't notice the fact that you're not terrified. You're you're startled. It's just nothing but jump scares. Um, that, I mean, that's that's exactly what I feel like horror is now. It's amazing cinematography with jump scares. Now, so the director of this film was, oh, I'm going to butcher this name, by the way, is Andreas Muschietti, I was going to call him. So um, AM for short is what I'm going to call him. So he directed uh, a film in 2013 called Mama, which actually did very well starring Jessica Chastain. And I believe, uh, yes, Jamie Lannister's in it, Nikolai Koster-Waldu. Uh, it was executive produced yeah, yeah. by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, there's some names I actually didn't butcher. Um, that did very well at the box office. I saw that movie, and I I was impressed by it. Were you guys, now, modern horror movie, were you guys concerned when you saw that this guy was de- attached to it, that you're like, ah, oh, he's like, I don't know what you guys think on the movie Mama, Mama is. So is it like, was there any concerns that you had going into it because of this director? I wasn't concerned. No. Tom? Uh, me either. Um, I know the only thing he has done was Mama, and I enjoyed Mama. It's not the uh, the greatest, but it's, it's I'd say in the past five or so years, probably in the top ten of horror movies that came out, um, which is kind of sad to think. But, I mean, it's not a bad film whatsoever. He has a, he has a very good sense of tone and what he wants to convey when he's, when he's directing a scene. Okay, so... You guys, I'm, I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you've both you've both seen the mini series of it, correct? Yeah. And you both read the book. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Comparing book to mini series, which do you think did the best job, uh, Tommy? Oh, the book, hands down. Uh- oh no, 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 no! I mean, I'm sorry. The mini series or. The, the this adaptation which did the book more justice uh i this adaptation did um don't get me wrong they both change things mostly for uh necessity out of budget and um some awkwardness with the scene that everyone knows about that wasn't in either and we don't need to talk uh, about it we know it exactly but uh this this new film i think adapted it better just because they had a little more money to work with more time to work with the miniseries had only three hours really to work with and they had to fit the entire book in. Whereas this one was just like, I'm going to focus on the kids, what they went through and they could pack that all into two and a half hours, two hours, 15 minutes, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I mean it, like I said, it deviated from the source material, but not so much as it was a completely different take on it. And what do you think? Um, honestly, I kind of felt like, well, Okay, there's there's two parts of the miniseries. I kind of felt like the kids portion of the miniseries was a little truer to the book, um, mostly because they I, I felt like they maybe developed the characters a little bit better. You got to see a little bit more of their family. You got to see a little bit more of their background. Um, you know, the I mean, little tiny things I feel like made it um, them building the dam, how they became friends. Um, I feel like Pennywise, in terms of personality, was a little closer in the miniseries, but physically you know, closer in the movie. But um, overall, I mean, I, I think I I, I kind of prefer the movie. Um, 
Pennywise was much scarier. Uh, the the kids, I felt, um, I felt like their relationship was a lot closer. I really felt that Bill and Beverly relationship in the movie more so than in the book or in the uh, miniseries. Um, I didn't get as much of Ben. I think Ben being in love with Beverly, I don't feel like I got as much of that in the miniseries as I did in the in the movie. So yeah, I mean, I'll agree definitely that. Um, I think that they, they made the kids closer for sure in the movie. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a toss up. So let's, let's, so let's, let's look at Pennywise. Um, obviously the Tim Curry incarnation. Oh, you know what? Like I said, I'm not the horror guy here, but I, I, I'll go on a limb and say it. His version of Pennywise probably in the top 25, maybe in top 10 most, recognizable or iconic however you want to classify it horror movie villains of all time um Mm -hmm. people like will know tim curry pennywise from it they are not going to remember that john ritter was in it or john boy or even seth green played uh uh, richie in the you know in the kid version Uh, but they always know tim curry do do you think do you think that Bill Sarsgaard, B-Scars, do you think he was able to match what Tim Curry created, or are we talking apples and oranges? Um, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, we've had um, 27 years to, to recognize Tim Curry as Pennywise, you know, 27 which is, years I, of people is, watching it. Which is ironic that it came out... Yeah. Of course, we have the 27-year gap of when he appears, which is awesome, by the way, I thought. I'm like, good good, good on you guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you have you said you've had 27 years to soak in Tim Curry as opposed to, you know, four days. Yeah, I mean, 27 years of people dressing like him as Halloween, 27 years of toys, of, you know, of T-shirts, you know. So, um, I don't know. I, I think... Um, do I think this Pennywise is as iconic looking? No, I don't. But I thought that he did an amazing job. So, I mean, maybe in 27 years he'll be just as big. I don't know. Tom? Uh, yeah, um, I I think it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges, unfortunately. And But with the world we live in, you sort of have to. Um, my friend brought up a great point. It's sort of like looking at... Jack Nicholson Joker versus Heath Ledger Joker. They're both great. They're both oh, iconic. Wow. That's really um, good. But and they're both they're all clowns, obviously. But um Jack Nicholson is fantastic. He's he's funny, he's creepy. Um, but and then, you know, Heath Ledger is just a psychotic, and they're both fantastic jokers. It's impossible to compare the two, really, at least for me. And that's how I feel about these two. Um, just like Ann said, Tim Curry's had twenty seven years on Bill Skarsgård. But I do think in five years, ten years, especially after Chapter 2 comes out, there's going to be people that are like, well, Bill Skarsgård is my Pennywise. He's fantastic. He's scary. Uh, he's towering. The dude's like 6'4 or 6'5. Um, I already know people that have never seen the miniseries that say, oh, that Tim Curry one's not scary, but this Bill Skarsgård guy is horrifying. Um, and going off the 27 years thing, that's a great age because actually I'm 27. So I kind of <laughs> like the... Uh, the thought of the every 27 years thing that kind of actually didn't realize that until right now. <laughs> nice. Uh, so 
One thing, uh, our I was actually stopped in the street the, uh, yesterday by our uh, pop break senior photographer, Keate Lewis. Uh, and he was like, dude, I saw it. And he said, I liked it, but I really thought the way Pennywise was edited and they, the way they shot him when he would come at the kids was really corny. And he said there were some real parts to it that just didn't work for him. Uh, one part in particular, I always say the one hole if I have to poke in the Pennywise character is that um, kind of all almost absurdly comic arm stretching out like Go Go Gadget evil clown arm to pull <laughs> Georgie into the sewer. I was just like waiting for the you know, slide whistle to come up and be like, and you're just like, ah, yeah, that was a little silly, guys. Like, that actually kind of took me out of my element a little bit because I'm like, oh my god, he bit his arm up. Wait, he's got a wacky long arm. Um, did you feel like any of, did you see uh, any validity to the point that he made about just the way he was edited, maybe come off a little cartoony, like when he was doing the dance, how his face, he just stared, but his whole body's doing like, He's just like shucking and jiving. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, and- uh, I, I feel like I'll that's what makes him a clown. Yeah. Oh. You know what I mean? It's not just his appearance. It's that he's a clown. So they, you know, they made him act like one too, but it was in like a frightening way. You know, he had this scary look to him, but he was still overall a clown. So I thought it made sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I dug that actually. I, uh, I feel it's so disarming is uh, oh, how, man. you know, how, how in theory, <laughs> how not scary a clown is supposed to be. I know a lot of people are scared of clowns. I'm, I'm personally not, but um, like to me, a clown is funny. It's supposed to be joyful and that sort of thing. So you've got this clown kind of shucking and jiving, but you see his face and his face is just focused in on you. Like he's, I'm going to kill you. As he's having fun, and that's that to a kid. If I saw that, I'd be like, "This is terrifying." But at the same time, what is this clown really going to do to me? So I, I think he did a great job, and people are uh, really talking about the uh, the way he can move his eye to one way and keep the like his left eye. He would move and keep his right eye straight. Oh, Bill oh. Skarsgård can actually do that. Oh yeah, that yeah. was not CGI. That is insane. <laughs> I what, what part does he do that in? Because that I maybe was just too terrified to notice it's in the sewer drain and i know he does it in the kneebolt house as well oh. yeah i was gonna say i think he does it in the kitchen oh god um <laughs> sorry it just ended up just like uh, just like rubbing my arms uh, <laughs> now outside of him was there, what other parts really kind of frightened you because there was one part that got me like to the point where my wife and i looked at each other's theater was like oh my just Jesus, when it was the uh, in the library scene, um, when Ben is there and the kid, the headless kid with the smoking eggs, all of a sudden like creaks and then starts chasing him. To me, I was just like, just I just I'm like I could leave now. This is just so goddamn scary. Um, was there any moments, non Pennywise, frightening moments, especially in those early parts with the kids that really you thought stood out the most? Um, there was again in the library scene, which I think is the, the best scare involving, you know, like the singular, the singular scare. I think that was the best one. Um, but before Ben goes down into the, uh, into the, I guess the stacks, if you want to call them that, 
you notice that behind him, the librarian yes. is kind of looking creepy. And it didn't take me until the second watching to notice that everyone stopped but Ben. So they were kind of all frozen in time as Ben was kind of doing his research. And it just so happened that the library was in this really creepy, out-of-focus position behind him. And the first time you, you see it, you don't really notice it oh, I until did. it cuts away. Oh, I and did. I'm like, what is she doing? And then the second time I watched it, I noticed that he had frozen everyone that was in the library except for Ben. And that was creepy to me. I actually thought the the librarian was Pennywise. Like, because just the way she was frozen, just in that kind of almost like hunched over position, like like she was going to morph into him. And I was sitting, sitting there, I was like white knuckling. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but Anne, what about you? Is there a, a non-Pennywise moment that just really got to you? Um, the leper. <laughs> Oh. I'm like I'm like Eddie. I'm the same. I'm I'm freaked out by germs. I, I can't even eat like chicken wings with sauce on them because I don't like my hands getting dirty like oh, that. Dude, I I know I'm a horrible New Yorker, but that freaked me out. The leper coming at him and like his skin like melting and uh, oh my god, like chasing him through the yard around the house. I yeah, the, I did not like the leper. I did not like that leper. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, I was watching that, and I was, besides being freaked out, I was like, man, The Walking Dead should really take notes of, on the, how to scare people again. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what part, it wasn't a horror, I mean, it's horrifying, but the thing that really, the scene I think that unnerved me most was, and I, I, I think, you know, for most people would be the Bev, Bev scene with her dad, or any scene with Bev and her dad. I thought was yeah. as terrifying as anything in that movie, and w- now so was that uh, a major p- plot point in the book uh, and the miniseries? Because uh, again, uh, naive to the situation myself. Not so much in the miniseries, but definitely the book. Yeah, it's it's um, the whole inappropriate touching. I guess would be the best way to handle that. Is not really mentioned in the in the miniseries at all. In the book, it is heavily heavily implied. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty disturbing and I'm glad they, they handled it with care in this as well. They, they really made it, as you said, terrifying and, you know, kind of a gross out moment, I guess is the right way to say it, but they, they handled it pretty well, at least in my opinion. So speaking of, yeah, I felt like they, um, oh, sorry. Nope. Go ahead. (laughs) Good. Um, yeah, no, they, they made it pretty obvious. I feel like that he had an inappropriate relationship with her. Um, but I think. I I like the way that they did it. Um, in the book, he he does beat her pretty severely, and he he does inappropriately touch her. And I'm I'm really glad that they left that out of the movie. But you know, when he touches her ponytail and then she cuts it off because she knows that he likes it, like that that right there alone told you the whole story. I felt like I thought that that was a really classy way. Um, if you can be classy at all about that subject matter, but I, I, you know what I mean? I I feel like it was a really good way to tell you about their relationship without actually telling you about their relationship. That's actually, and that's one thing I have to say, uh, if you guys can agree with me or not, is why I really like this movie. There was a sense of heartbreak in it and not just terror. Obviously with Bill and Georgie was the obvious one, but just like you saw, like you watched that scene where she's like crying and cutting her hair and you just are like, you're like, your heart shatters, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, if you have a, a, a little sister, a daughter, a niece or whatever, 
Like, you just see that, and you're just like, oh, my God, like, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, and that's what I loved about this movie, was there was a lot of heart to it. Um, and there was, like, you invested in each one of these characters, and that is my really obvious way to transition into talking about the characters. Um, the Losers Club, uh, or is it the Loser Squad? I always get that wrong. So, uh, It's Club, yeah. It's, it's Club. Ah, uh, good. So, all right, so... <laughs> Let's let's just break them all down because they, they're the people we're with the most. Um, Jake uh, Jaden Labor, man, I, I'm so glad I didn't have to. Uh, I did not ever have to meet that guy and trying to pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> he played Bill. Uh, now, okay, obviously, I'm gonna like give you guys a lot more time to talk about this because um, you have seen. You can compare actors to actors. Um, how do you think he fared one in this movie and two against uh, his uh, miniseries counterpart, uh, which I believe was yes, the late Jonathan Brandis. Jonathan Brandis, yeah. So, uh, Anne, why don't you why don't you kick us off? Like, how do you feel that uh, the modern day Bill was like? How did you if you enjoy that performance? And if you want to compare him to the Brandis performance from nineteen ninety. Um, I, I think that Jaden was definitely a better actor than Jonathan Brandis. Um, I know that seems kind of bad to say, but, um, in, in that role, yeah, I thought Bill was more convincing as the, the heartbroken brother. Um, there was a difference in the story. You know, Georgie was missing in this one and, and in the book, in the miniseries, you, you know, George is dead. Um, so, I mean, I guess. Jaden had to had to have a little bit more um, desperation and heartbreak, but uh, yeah, I mean overall, I, I I think he was far and away the the best part of the movie. I thought that kid was amazing. Um, yeah, Tom, he was incredible. Uh, I did as well. I think, um, and again, I like the uh, the actor from the miniseries. I thought he was actually the, probably the standout of the Losers Club in the miniseries. Um, but Jaden, I, th- I think it's Lieber, but I'm probably butchering that as well. Uh, this kid, you felt so bad for him. Like, I I don't know what I would be going through in that situation. Um, but he handled for, God, what is he, 13 or 14? He handled this role with absolute class. This kid was, blew my expectations out of the water. And there is a scene at the end, uh, like Ann said, he, Georgie's missing and not actually dead, at least you know, to them, um, where he takes the cattle gun from Mike and he, he shoots Georgie in the head. And me, I'm like, for about two or three seconds after he, he shoots his brother, I'm like, did he actually shoot his brother? Yeah. (laughs) And I I felt that just the, the sad kind of stone cold look on, on Jaden's face was what really sold me. I was like, this kid's got it. He, he's going to be a big star just by the way he can manifest his facial expressions, the way he talks when he's in any kind of given situation. Um, yeah, he was he was pretty incredible, and I agree with Anne. He was the best part of the movie, at least for the Losers Club. Now, if anyone uh, wants to know what his uh, background is, um, he's also been in... Uh, he's the Book of Henry. He's, I think, the title character, which is uh, Colin Trevero, uh, who was just uh, asked nicely to leave the new Star Wars movie. He was... The kid in Midnight Special, and he was also great movie, by the way. 
in uh, St. Vincent. So yes, he's had uh, he's had a nice career to him. Uh, now the one character, big shock, he's playing a character from the '80s, and he's in a group of friends who have to go battle a demonic beast from another reality. Uh, Finn Wolfhard played Richie. Seth Green played Richie in the uh, miniseries. Um, I absolutely loved him. Uh, I didn't really comment on uh, Jaden, sorry, but I thought Jaden was great. I thought he 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 was the real emotional core of the movie, um, outside of another character, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, Finn Wolfhard, though, I, I, one of my probably one of my favorite characters in the show. I'm mean, sorry, in the in the movie, he was much needed, really salty comic relief, and um, I mean, just like. <laughs> He just said, what only, you know, I, I'm trying to think of all his great lines, like, what, only virgins can see him? Because I have never seen him. And he said, <laughs> well, I think the other one was, man, I drew, I can't believe I drew the short straw. If we were measuring dicks, and I'm just like, God. And it was like, lines like that should have been terrible. They really should have been terrible. But they were, like, especially when they're going into that house, that was like such a needed line. And especially when you then transition to him seeing his want is missing poster which i thought is just like a crazy good reveal um did not see that coming obviously again haven't seen the previous source material uh but i thought he was able to turn on that fear and that just complete manic insanity like not even insanity but just like so overcome i thought he did that just perfectly and uh you know I thought it was a nice, despite it being a very similar type of role on from a uh, superficial manner. I thought he did a great job playing it. He wasn't Mike from Stranger Things. He he would no. definitely define this character. Um, what did you guys think of uh, Mr. Stranger Things within the world of it? Uh, I thought again he was great. He's probably getting the best reviews out of anyone from the Losers Club, and. His his comic timing was he he's got the comic timing of someone probably double his age. Um, every line out of his mouth, like you said, could have been a bad line, and he knew exactly how to deliver it. There's the the measuring dicks line, the uh, virgins line. There's the part. It's so subtle. He's in the background as they're all talking, and there's like a parade going on, and he's trying to play this trumpet that he stole from <laughs> the members of the band. Yeah, it's, I. These decisions that he made, or he was directed to make, he was incredible. And there's all the people that I know who have known me for a long time, have seen this movie, and they're like, oh, that's just you, and like, as a 13-year-old. And at first I was kind of offended, but but as I, I kind of let it gestate, I was like, you know what, thank you, that's that's a good compliment. Like, I'm the guy who I think at least brought smiles to your face and said some inappropriate things. But, um, yeah, Finn Wolfhard is going to continue probably to kick some ass in the next foreseeable couple years um i love this kid i've told everyone who hasn't seen stranger things or hasn't seen it see this movie this is the kid that you're gonna you're gonna love what about you Anne? um i was really skeptical um you know after seeing stranger things and he's uh, mike is tough but um he's also weak you know what i mean um so i I was really skeptical about him being Richie, but he ended up being my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> he, I hated Richie in the book. I thought he was obnoxious. I never understood how any of them hung out with him because he was just an asshole. 
but he, they toned him down a little bit. They toned him down just the right amount. They made him hilarious. Um, the, the part at the end when, you know, he's already gotten into the fight with Bill and he's standing there and he's like, you know, you, you punched me in the face, you drug me down here and now I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. And I lost it. (laughs) I thought for sure he was going to leave Bill to die. But like, like Tommy said, his comedic timing was spot on. It was perfect. Well, I thought that line, I I thought that line, it could have sucked. I thought that line too was a nice callback to when he was on the lookout, he was like, well, what am I, when they were trying to clean the, um, the, ha- um, Bev's, uh, apartment, uh, bathroom. And they're like, well, what do you, what do you, he's like, what am I supposed to do? And they're like, do what you always do best. Talk him to death. And I thought that was like a nice little <laughs> nod to that because he, it allowed everyone to muster up their courage and allowed Pennywise really to think, oh, I've, I've won. But in fact, he did. I thought that was great. My, one of my favorite characters had to be Ben, played by Jeremy Ray Taylor. Let's just talk about this kid, this character's toughness, because at one point he gets an H carved into him. At another part, he just gets Pennywise just, like, cuts him wide open. And then at the end of the movie, he's got to cut his hand. I'm like, dude, he does not need to do a blood oath with you guys. That dude has bled <laughs> for you guys way more than you needed to. But I thought he was the perfect combination of Richie and Bill. He was a very sensitive, emotional character, but he was also really funny. I thought all his lines with Bev, especially when he tried to, like, when she's walking away and he, like, throws out the new kid's line, like, I thought it was perfect. And Please made, don't go, girl. That's it. And I was just like, <laughs> oh. again, should not have worked. It should have just been, ugh, come on. But these actors were so good, and this was just a little piece that they gave to this guy they didn't need to give him that but they did and i just i'm i'm so stoked i was so stoked to see him like you know get the kiss at the moment i thought that was really cute again should have been super lame but just wasn't um was does is this character like does he have the same appeal in the book and the miniseries or is this kind of like this actor really put his own spin on it he was tough in the book. I feel like he was a lot tougher in the book. Um, but again, they, you know, it, you got 1200 pages of, of story. Um, ben was really very protective of Beverly in the book. Very protective. Um, and I, I feel like they, they showed that pretty well in the book. You know, they, um, what's that guy's name? Henry comes after Bev. He, he's throwing rocks at him and, and Ben just like nails him. You know, he he was very protective of Beverly. I thought I thought that they did a really good job of transferring. Ah, uh, yeah, I agree. I I actually enjoyed how they softened him up in in this new movie. Um, he had more of a um kind of a sweetness to him um, instead of trying to be kind of hard edged like he was in the book. His uh, <laughs> it's gonna sound weird, but the poem from the the book and the miniseries is something that I've known since I was young. Uh, Your hair is winter fire, January embers, my heart burns there too. And when Bev recites that back to him in the sewers, it's again something that should be cheesy, but both Ben and Bev uh, kind of just have this huge, like, it's it's really cute. It's kind of adorable. Like, I remember being nervous to talk to a girl too, and I think it's, it's really adorable. And um, 
I'll give this kid credit. I'm someone who's in pretty decent shape, and I still don't like having my shirt off in front of people. And there's a scene where they're all kind of at the quarry, and um, you know he's he's the fat kid of the group, and he's the one who's like, you know what? I'm gonna jump in the water after Bev. I'm gonna be the one who's in my underwear going in after her, which I thought was kind of a sweet moment. Oh yeah, definitely. And speaking of Bev, to me, I thought as much as I loved all the other characters, like Bev, uh, played played by Sophia Lillis, uh, I thought she just was like such a dynamic character and possibly the best character. I don't know if it was the best performance, but I thought her character was the best because she had a lot to work with. There, She was more fleshed out, I want to say, than other people, uh, other characters. Um, I don't know. Am I speaking out of turn here? Uh, not at all. She was, uh, she was fantastic. And, it, you know, it gives, um, you know, in this age of, you know, girls, like badass kind of girls, heroines that we have, She's going to be a good one for those in the the younger crowd and the horror the horror genre. Um, I thought she was a lot closer to the book than the girl from the miniseries. She was the one who, out of everyone, I think, leaps and bounds, was better than anybody else in that miniseries, uh, part of the Losers Club-wise. And what do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, she... I agree. Her character definitely had more background. Um as, you know, as a as a female, I I know how horrible it is when people have those rumors spread about you. You know, and the rumors are spread about her that she was a slut and that she had with um, Henry Bowers and like all these people and everybody in town knew about it. Even the the parents. I mean, Eddie's mom makes a comment about it that she's a slut. Basically, um, you know, n- having rumors like that spread about you when they're not true, and she still manages to go to school every day and she makes friends with these boys and doesn't care that rumors are going to go around that she's hanging out with, you know, six guys. Um, yeah, I, I thought that she, I thought she was pretty incredible. Um, same thing with those new kids on the block jokes, man. I was dying when they're in the alleyway and he's patching, they're patching up Ben's stomach and she's like, you sure you got the right stuff? And the only people that get it in the whole group are her and Ben. I thought that, I thought it was really funny. I thought she was great. Another creepy moment with her. Yeah, that kid's going to be something. Another creepy moment with her, uh, uh, definitely that scene in the pharmacy. Like, Oh, God, with, uh, the, with the pharmacist? I just, I just, I, I just, my skin wanted to crawl off my body at one point. I'm just like, oh, God, why? Um, now, did she, I like, you know what I also liked about Bev was like that she was a woman of action because, I mean, I feel like in a lot of horror movies, it's just like up until recently, it's been a lot of, I'm just going to run and scream, or I'm just dumb and I'm going to run, basically run into a knife or some sort of death. <laughs> and, whereas she ran at death and decided to fight it. And I feel like, like I'm like, oh, it's a lot better. Um, do you, now, another thing, it was obviously set in the 80s, adapted from the 50s. Do, was that, I mean, it, I thought it was very subtle, like, but does that, did it make a big difference um, in the book to the from the miniseries to the movie, or is that just it was it uh, just negligible? Um, it threw it, me it, off a little bit. Yeah, it's the book is very very set. Like you can tell, it's the 1950s um, with the monsters that they're scared of, um, like the mummy and Frankenstein's monster and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I like the update. Um, I I was born in '89, but I always say I was born like a decade too late. I agree. But 
Yeah, it's uh, thanks. It's um, you know, I I kind of like that '80s aspect a little more because it, in a weird way that doesn't really make sense, it it kind of updated it to make it more relevant. Just because the '80s are so big and having their comeback right now, I think the '50s might have deterred people from wanting to see it. Yeah, I agree. Actually, see, I thought it was just like, yeah. oh yeah, I mean, obviously you guys saw it. Uh, I guess. Putting in the 80s would then give you a 2016, roughly, uh, or, or as close to 20, I guess, 2018, 2019, whatever it comes out, uh, as you can. I think putting it way too modern would have actually ruined it. Like, if you set it in today, like, right now, like, there would have been, like, kids like, oh, is this weird? Let me take a picture of it, or let me let me look on my smartphone, or, like, I don't need to go outside, you know? Like, right. I feel like it would have, and we've already seen, like, technology impacting horror movies and, like, what was that really terrible Skype death movie? Uh, uh, Unfriended? Oh, uh, Unfriended. God, that was just, that That movie was, <laughs> that movie was shot for five bucks and they're just like, okay, everyone just filmed this? Okay, cool, we just made a billion dollars, great. Um, that movie was so Well, they bad. did that with Carrie. Oh, okay. You know, the 1976 Carrie is, like, perfection to me. That is my number one Stephen King movie, Carrie. I love Carrie. And while the new one did, I I feel like, get a little bit closer to the book, um, I mean, there's there's cell phones, there's photos, there's a video of her getting her period in the the locker room. You know, it it definitely changed the story. I, I feel like it kind of ruined it a little bit. Well, so, yeah, I feel like if it was set now, it, it definitely would have destroyed it with cell phones. It was so bad that I didn't even remember that movie came out, and I actually had to look what year it came out, and that was 2013 with <laughs> Chloe Grace Moretz. And I'm like, oh, I don't even yep. remember that. Um, now, one thing I want to go, it's like outside of the movie. Uh, so, like I said, this movie grossed right now. It's at $118 million, give or take, 117 <laughs> sorry. I look at other movies, horror movies that have made a lot of money, like The Conjuring. I know, but it, that like at <laughs> topped out domestically at like a hundred and twenty. Horror movies some do very well, but they don't break through because. Do you, and now, do you guys feel like this movie could end up box office wise? I mean, I don't look for a number, but like it could be like top five of the year. And do you feel like horror movies have a tough battle? making that type of money money because they're horror movies. If that makes sense. Um, top five, yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, considering, like Tommy said, the, I mean, the only other really important movie that's coming out this year is Star Wars, and you know Star Wars is going to dominate. But, um, yeah, I mean, top five, I wouldn't put it past it to be up there for sure. But horror movies now, I mean, I feel like the best horror movies that are being made are the ones that are being ignored. They're the ones that aren't doing well in the box office. The The ones that are doing well, I think, are the, the worst ones. Like Annabelle Creation? Oh, like, why? 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 Exactly. What's original about that movie? Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's the creation. That's why what's it's, original? Uh, okay, I mean, it's the origin. Yeah, how much I don't like the Conjuring, but what's original about the Conjuring? It was a combination of Poltergeist and Amityville. You know what I mean? It, there was nothing original there. But then you get these movies that are coming out, like you know, You're Next or or American Mary, and these things are are 
they're amazing. I think they're they're great. Your next was funny. It was a cool idea. And then you you know they they're not doing as well as these other movies, as well as Ouija or Annabelle or you know I I don't know. I feel like this uh, this movie could maybe change that. Tom. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping as well. I mean, unfortunately, movies like she mentioned, uh, Ouija, Annabelle, even The Conjuring, which I like, they're they're a mass audience horror movie. And movies such as You're Next or uh, It Follows, you know, The Babadook, these great horror movies that came out recently aren't making that much money. And it's it's got to do with the studio politics, you know, budget, marketing, that sort of stuff. It's a whole thing. Um, but, you know, there's these these great smaller movies that aren't aren't doing as well. And I'm hoping that it, you know, it's doing well because one, it's a good movie. And two, because they handled everything so well, they handled the acting, creation, writing, uh, marketing, all that stuff so well. And luckily a movie like this and then get out another horror movie from earlier have made so much money that I'm, I'm hoping studios start to take these horror movies and handle them with better care. That way we can get more, uh, just better mainstream horror movies like there used to be in the, the 1980s and even in the mid-1990s after Scream. Yeah, see, you know I, I'm a 90s horror junkie. <laughs> I uh, My thing is, I, I, I have to say, I'll just admit, I was not a fan of It Follows. I thought there was like one scary part and then I was like, the rest of it to me, I was just like, ah, all right. Uh, that's just me though. Uh, I look at the reason like, I, th- I feel like why this could do well is Dan Cohen said this as well is because of people like uh, like me and him, and that sounds like such a like douchey thing to say, but it's because I'm not a horror guy. Dan's not a horror guy, but we want to see this movie, and like I think the one thing it, that even it like might have a struggle with is because horror movies have such a ugh, it's a horror movie. Like, it's like, oh, it's just a potato chip. Or it's, ugh, it's disposable. Like, and, and people just like, oh, I don't need to watch it. You've seen one more horror movie, seen them all. But I think if the word of mouth keeps going strong, that'll change that. And I feel like you guys are right. Obviously, you know horror better than I do. Is that we haven't been treated to, or horror movies, even good ones. Even though I thought the first Rob Zombie Halloween is just like, they're not treated with the same respect that other movies are treated. Yeah. No, they're not. And what, so what do you think that is? Is it just because so many get made all the time or is there just something else? Always been curious about that. I mean, the word, the word schlock comes to mind. You hear that in a lot of older reviews. Like, I mean, going back to the eighties, the eighties had a horror movie, a new slasher movie every week coming out. And you would, I go back and read the reviews and it's schlock. It's trash. It hates, women and it hates all these things and but people are in theaters every week seeing Friday the 13th part 5 or happy birthday to me and all these all these movies um but i don't think they get the attention they do anymore like they used to um but you know you've got a lot of cynics in this world who say well that movie's not scary it's not scary to me so it's a terrible movie i don't want to see horror movies cuz they can't scare me anymore well they're scaring somebody they're doing something right for somebody, at least. Um, there's people that try to act like my brother, for instance, who I know gets scared of scary movies, but he'll go in there and he'll be like, oh, that was stupid. I, I laughed at everything I saw as he's, you know, cowering in, in his chair. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
there's just this stigma with horror movies that they're they're cheap, they're they're not scary, they're for the you know people that have a bloodlust and hate a certain demographic, and none of that's true. You know, people just like a really interesting horror movie, whether there's death involved, whether there's ghosts, goblins, demons, zombies. If it's a good movie, go see it. If not, you don't have to like every horror movie, but I don't know. I still get kind of laughed. It's same for watching wrestling. I get laughed at for watching wrestling. I get laughed at for loving horror movies. You know, everyone's got their own thing. Some people think that, you know, uh, Scary Movie 5 is the funniest movie in the world. Whatever. That's fine. (laughs) That that statement was probably funny. Scary Movie 5? I'm surprised there's still not scary movies being made. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like like these movies like Ouija and Annabelle I feel like they are they are what people are equating horror with you know they're not taking the time to watch things like the Babadook or or you know it follows they're not watching those because they're not being pumped down to theaters I mean they kind of were but not really you know they're not showing all over the place like like Annabelle is you know Victor Crowley is going to get a limited release oh, and God, those so hatchet movies are brilliant hatchet movies are brilliant yeah. they are and they're, it's going to be a limited release because nobody is going to pay for this to be in every theater. Right, which is unfortunate because the, like Adam Green is one of the unsung heroes of horror directors today. Fact. If he's listening to this, Adam, hey there, I've met you a couple times. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's uh, you got the Adam Green, the Joe Lynch, the Adam Wingard, like all these guys who are making these just top-notch horror movies, and unfortunately, no one's going to see them. There's one that came out, I think, five or six years ago, give or take, called The Innkeepers. Yeah, and I try we actually, and recommend we actually that did, to mm-hmm. everybody. We got an advanced, that was one of the first advanced screenings we ever got. Ty West. Yeah, Ty West, yeah. And I, I recommend that mm-hmm. movie to everybody. And they see it and they go, well, that wasn't good. There was like no budget behind it. There was no scares. I'm like, dude, that movie is creepy. Like, that they is do a the same thing with well the Devil. shot horror movie. What movie was that, Anne? Yeah, Ty West is ignored. I said they, they did the same thing with House of the Devil. That's another Ty West movie. You know, people are like, oh, that's not scary. No, that, that movie was. It's really that made scary. you incredibly uncomfortable. That movie made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, these, these directors are ignored. And you get, you know, you're getting these Rob Zombie movies pumped out, which I am a Rob Zombie fan, but I, I hated 31. I'm not going to lie. And watching the, the Q&A after the movie, because I went to the advanced screening, he basically said, like, hey, I pulled this idea out of my butt because I knew that the producers would take anything I gave them. And it's like, you know, I helped fund this movie, and you're sitting here telling me that you just pulled this idea out of your butt. You know, that kind of sucks. Um, and, and Rob Zombie does love you. He, you, he remember he uh, reposted your uh, review of uh, I know, and I Lords of Salem. Rob, you know that I love Rob Zombie. I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan. I love his movies. I love them. I love Lords of Salem. People hate that movie. I hate that movie. I, Loved it. See, that's what I'm saying. I, I read the book. Yeah, I mean, uh, I loved. Um, I love. I mean, I loved. But I, I hated Rejects, 31. So. I hated it. Yeah. And he's right. It's because he really, literally, could have pulled any idea out of his butt, and they would have made it. It's true. Same thing with James Wan. Any idea he threw at them, they would make it. But then you get these these directors like Adam Green, and and he has to like struggle to make these movies because people aren't going to fund it. Like, George yeah, Romero exactly. wanted to make another another movie, and nobody would fund it. George, I mean, you wouldn't have zombies without Romero, but nobody was going to give him money. But they're going to pump movies their money into Ouija and Annabelle. Come on, 
Which is great because James Wan, James Wan is uh, directing the Aquaman movie. I feel so oh, I good know. about that. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm gonna throw this out there for James Wan. Um, I'm uh, the biggest Fast and Furious uh, fighter. Like I think those movies are just hilariously bad, but awesome. Uh, he did a pretty good job with Fat Furious Seven, so I'm I'm gonna give him some credit for the action movies that he's done. And he had a lot of crap to go through during the production of Furious Seven with the whole death of Paul Walker. That's so right. he pulled off a pretty decent movie for you know Fast and Furious standards. Uh, yeah, I mean, world's tallest midget, you know, same thing. Uh, well, little person, <laughs> I should say. Uh, yeah, but he's also helping produce The Nun, which I know is another uh, Conjuring spinoff. Uh, and, and there's The Crooked Man, another Conjuring spinoff, and The Conjuring 3. Oh, but he's going to produce Mortal Kombat, a movie, so I can't really... I can't crap on him too much, because... I mean, I feel like a, a new Mortal Kombat would have to be better than the original two, right? Well, the first one has its moments, man. And that soundtrack, <laughs> that soundtrack changed my life. Uh, for oh, my else? God. Oh, so good. Come on. Um, <laughs> so, circling back to it, um, you guys have seen... Uh, this is a larger scale question. You guys have seen the, the very, uh, probably most of the adaptations of Stephen King's works. Uh, let's just stick to the yeah. horror stuff. Where would you rank this amongst uh, the adaptations of his uh, stories to the big screen in the horror genre? I mean, nothing's going to overtake Maximum Overdrive for me. Oh, dear God. Come on, it's an ACDC only soundtrack. Seriously. The Green Honey, Goblin that soundtrack. called me an asshole. It's, that's such a bad movie. <laughs> but it's like, it's so bad, but it's like also really hilarious at the same time. I, I can agree to that. Um, and if we're sticking strictly, strictly to horror, I'm I'm gonna throw this one at least for the time being. It might change later. I'm gonna throw it at number one for me for horror Stephen King movies. Um, yeah, because it's hard to top Shawshank, you know. Yeah, it's um. Well, to me, Stand by Me is number one Stephen King. That is the greatest adaptation of Stephen King's work to me. Um, but yeah, agreed. You've got even. You know, with it being number one, not very far behind at all is Carrie, uh, the 76 version, and The Shining, which I know Stephen King hates The Shining, but that is an incredible film through and through. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, if you're going non-horror, you got Shawshank in there as well. And thinner, but, you know. (laughs) God. Uh, And what about you? Uh, uh, I mean, you can't top Carrie for me with Stephen King. It is it is my ultimate. Um, then I would probably say The Shining, and and I would I mean I would probably toss this in there. Um, yeah, I would say number three. I would put this as number three. Hmm. Stuff, yeah, I forgot Misery as well, but Misery is also fan. fantastic. That's true. What's so funny because I, I when I came home, I, the Family Guy Stephen King episode was on, and. Uh, <laughs> How you were saying, and you were just talking about like Rob Zombie saying he pulls stuff out of his butt. He's just like when he gets hit by the car, he's like, "Ah, I could turn this into a story and done." Or it's this like the spooky the evil lamp. lamp monster. <laughs> All right, Stephen, <laughs> give me a hundred pages by tomorrow. Um, so let's go to wrap this up. Now, now for those who haven't seen it, I, I give a pitch to someone who's not a horror fan why they should see this movie. And Anne, I want you to go first. 
just to say I've never why seen Why someone this. who's not a horror fan? Yeah, why they should really take the time and say, you know what? This is why you should, you should really watch this. Because, again, a lot of people are out there saying, oh, it's a horror movie, it's clowns, eh, or, uh, look, you know, there's st- I, th- I still think people are fighting against it. Why should people be going to see this movie? It's more than a horror movie. Um, I, I mean, I didn't think the movie was terrifying. I thought it was scary. But um, I felt like it was more of, it was more of a story of, of kids, you know, it was, you know, you with your friends in, in as kids and, and exploring the woods and, you know, little things scaring you, you like, you know, being terrified that your house is haunted it, it, as if, you know, you didn't ever play with your, your best friend's little, little brother and like convince him the house was haunted, you know, like that's what it felt like to me was, was being a kid and how terrifying things are when you're a kid and it's like coming of age, it's not just about the clown. The movie wasn't about Pennywise. It was about the losers club and them finding each other and them growing up together and how quickly they grew up and, and their love for one another. I felt like, I don't know. Yes. Technically it's a horror movie, but I I feel like it's more than that. I felt like it was a lot more than that. Tom. Ah, yeah. Uh, I agree with every word. Um, there is a, a term that my uh, good friend Ryan said. It's a it's a kids on bike movie, which you know dominated that time period. And I'm I'm a couple years younger than you guys, but I feel like my generation, the ones born in you know '88 to like '91, '92, were the last kids who spent a lot of their time outside on their bikes, exploring, you know, looking for scary dead bodies in the the forest or whatever, and that that's exactly how I would have I acted with my friends at that time, you know, um, cussing up a storm when our parents didn't think we did, scaring each other, um, you know, just talking about life. There was nothing important going on that they were talking about aside from the killer clown that was trying to kill them. And as Anne said, this is it's a horror movie, yes, but it's so much more than that. It's a coming of age story, which is the best kind of story because everyone comes of age, and it's. I'm I'm not going to say that people who don't like horror movies are going to think this is the greatest thing ever, but you get a lot of heart in this movie. And if if you don't feel sentimental about at least one of these kids, you're doing something wrong with your life. Wow, that's some condemnation right there. Um, I guess my pitch would be like, listen, I hate horror movies. And to me, it's like, it's to be the same way I, I, and then I would go into like, did you like Stranger Things? Because it's not dissimilar. Because most people like Stranger Things was a John Carpenter movie that Netflix kind of made into like a series everyone fell in love with. This is like the similar a similar thing where it's just like this is a horror movie, but you could fall in love with the characters like you guys were saying, and it, that's what makes it a better movie than than anything we could have expected. It, and um, it, I think, and you guys could disagree. That upon second viewing, third viewing, this won't be like a letdown where you're like, oh, well, it's not scary anymore. You could still appreciate this as a good film. Oh, definitely. That, Like I said, the second time I saw it, it's still just as good. And that projector scene got me the second time, which <laughs> I didn't think it would, but it did. And um, there is, uh, you know, it, there's just chills. something about it that's just so... 
what's the word I'm looking for? So sweet, I guess. Like these kids are, they're sweet. They're sweet kids. Someone that you hung out with as a kid, you can connect to one of them. Awesome. And what are your hopes? So we have a second movie on the horizon. I don't, I don't see a official release date. We don't even have a cast yet. Um, if you had one casting wish, just one for this film, what, who would it be and why? I'll let Anne tackle this one first. I kind of want to hear her answer. (laughs) I already know who you're going to say. And it is reasonable. I will say that. Um, My one casting wish. I, where I know people are going to say Jessica Chastain for Bev, I really do think Deborah Ann Wall looks like an older version of Sophia Lewis, but my ultimate casting choice would 100% be Chris Pratt as Ben. Wow. Because, um, that's a lot of people you know, are saying. Well, because in the, in the book, Ben grows up to be fit and handsome and he's, you know, women just are obsessed with him. Um, but overall, you know, he's always been in love with Bev and I feel like Chris Pratt number, I, uh, Chris Pratt look, you know, he was fat. Let's be honest. He was fat. And people still, um, and, and women still Mac, loved And him. we watched him. Yeah. He was, he was that character. He was the Ben character. He was the sweet, fat guy, you know, and he's, he got fit and women are obsessed with him. I mean, he, he is Ben. I feel like he is Ben and he has that ability to be the lovesick, you know, good looking guy that could have anybody he wants, but he just wants that one girl. And we've all seen Guardians of the Galaxy. That was him. Um, so yeah, that would be my my number one casting choice. Right. Uh, I I love the casting choice of Chris Pratt, and I almost picked him, but I felt since I went with Jessica Chastain as Bev, which is the obvious, Chris Pratt was also the obvious. So I tried to think outside the box when I picked Joseph Gordon-Levitt. However, if I had to pick one person, it would be uh, Grown Up Richie, and I picked Bill Hader. That's a great choice. And I I just think he. I, I could see Finn Wolfhard 30 years from now being looking like Bill Hader. Bill Hader like, is a giant, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and they're both funny. Uh, they've both proven that they have a lot of heart in them, even when they're kind of being jackasses and obnoxious. Um, and I, I think, I mean, Bill Hader's proved time and time again that he can be the comedy relief in any kind of situation. So Bill Hader is my number one choice to play any of them as a grown-up. Listen, he saved Trainwreck. Him, LeBron, and John Cena, so... Uh, I was going to say John Cena saved Trainwreck. John oh, Cena's pretty great in Trainwreck. <laughs> There's so many amazing scenes, lines from him. Um, the one I, I, I'm kind of torn on is that for the character of Bill. Uh, because I had one guy lined up and then Tommy completely threw another name in there for me. Uh, I look at Bill and I see two guys just from a look standpoint, and I, I know they're both really good actors, could easily be Joseph Gordon-Levitt or James McAvoy. Um, I am a diehard McAvoy fan. I think I thought he should have been the new Doctor Who years ago, but that didn't happen. And um, I just think he's great. And I really could see... I could really could see either one of them pulling off that very sensitive, but yet still damaged, yet still wants to be a leader part that Bill was in this movie and extrapolate that out 27 years from now. It's actually, that's actually a good reasoning, and I, I, I like that. Oh, thanks, Tom. 
Yeah, I'll hey, give, welcome. I'll give you a raise. <laughs> okay, guys. So, <laughs> so as soon as I give myself one. Uh, so yeah. So that's so that's it. You know, obviously, guys, we all loved it, and for different reasons. Two die-hard Stephen King reading. Well, I found out Tommy used to want to search for dead bodies when he was a kid, which. I'm going to have a talk with his mom later, um, <laughs> is, you know, and, and me, the non-horror guy, we all love this movie, so if you're on the fence about it, whether you liked it or not, maybe give it a second chance, See, you know, go back, go back and listen, think about what we said, go back and listen to it. So, um, guys, where can uh, people uh, yell at you on the internet, uh, or agree with you on the internet, uh, in the world of the Twitter? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram. It's uh, Scarlet Jupiter, um, spelled exactly how it sounds. Nice. Uh, I am also on both at Pop Culture Tommy, uh, exactly how it sounds. Um, I don't hit my Twitter game as much as I used to, but you can find all things mostly horror, pop culture, and some wrestling and hockey on there at Pop Culture Tommy. Oh, good. I'll tell someone to update that. And, um, I am, if you want to follow me for some God knows why, I am at Bodkin Writes. Uh, but most importantly, why don't you give Pop Break a follow? Check us out online. We are thepopbreak.com. No, there's not too easy. It's just thepopbreak.com. It just sounds like the Ohio State University, which is why we did it. Um, we are at popbreak.com, all spelt on Twitter, uh, forward slash popbreak.com, uh, all spelt out on Facebook, at thepopbreak.com on Instagram, and search Pop Break on YouTube. We've got a slew of great interviews uh, and video content out there for you guys to check out. So, um, as we can all, uh, we all come together and can say, clowns are really scary. Don't ever trust them. And when you're in the guard, if you're in a rest stop, and you see a old 1980s soccer mom van filled with clowns in your rearview mirror, do not stop at any stop sign and drive as fast (laughs) as you can. That happened to me, and it was the scariest moment of my life. Uh, so until next time, I, I really hope you enjoy that image I've left you. And this is uh, for Anne Hale and Tommy Tracy. I'm Bill Bodkin. Thanks for checking out the Breakcast. <laughs>